0: This is Michael Merrickle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. You can catch the show live weekdays from 3 o'clock until 4, locally in Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 WTBN and online at letstalkfaith.com and iheartradio.com. And swing by our website for all things I Work For Him at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com. And now, today's podcast broadcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in to I Work for Him this afternoon. As we challenge you to dig deeper, dig deeper in your ministry in your workplace because your workplace it's your mission field, and in that mission field, you and me we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. In fact, your workplace it's not by chance. It, no matter what you do, God has given that workplace calling to you. That workplace it, it's not random; it's on purpose. In fact, the people that you work with, those that you work alongside, they need to meet Jesus, and you may be their only chance. You know, a lot of times you hear that I work for Amnation commercial that I put together, and you think, well, Jim, seriously, I could pray for people, but I don't know about serving people, and I'm not sure about, you know, actually befriending people, and I'm not sure about praying with people, and I certainly don't know about sharing my faith with people. You know, I could try that whole excellence thing, but you know, the I Work for him Nation is so literally aligned with the Love 2020 commitment. And Love 2020, you can find out more about it online at love2020.com. It is, or is it O-R-G, all of a sudden I'm draw, drawing a blank. Well, you know what, let me just bring on, let me just, let me just stop that. I'll stop pontificating and just say, listen, you and I, we need to take our workplace ministry seriously. We got Kathy Branzell on the line from Love 2020, and she's going to help us Talk about what's going on with Love 2020. Kathy Branzell, welcome back to iWork for Him.
1: Hey, Jim. Thanks so much. Yes, it's love2020.com.
0: I don't know why I just all of a sudden, you know, sometimes because I quote so many websites, all of a sudden I started doubting myself and it was embarrassing. All right. All right. Before... Before we get into the depth of our conversation, I really want to know how last week went. Obviously, you're not feeling so hot because you've been traveling around the country on behalf of the National Day of Prayer last Thursday, which was incredible. Talk about it.
1: Yes. Uh, we are so grateful. Had a great week last week, but ran around in the rain. Um, stood out in the rain on Thursday and Friday in Washington, D.C. But what, a, what an amazing day, the National Day of Prayer. We are grateful for the tens of thousands of groups. We're, we are still counting numbers. We want, you know, numbers of events that we can actually count. I'm going to ask people, if you're listening and you attended, are you helped put together? a National Day of uh, of Prayer event last Thursday, let us know on the website at nationaldayofprayer.org. Tell us your story. Send us your picture. We know last year there were over 42,000 prayer events on the National Day of Prayer. So that means there were millions of prayers lifted up for our nation, for people's communities, for one another on the National Day. And we want this to be a lifestyle, and and I know that people talk doom and gloom, but I believe that America's best days are ahead of her, because millions of prayers were lifted up on behalf of our nation last year, or, or last week, and we pray to a God who hears our prayers and answers mm-hmm. our prayers. So, so I excited. Am. The National Observance was beautiful, and um, was just so privileged to be there again and be a part of this incredible day and organization
0: i got to go to the tampa bay prayer brunch which uh, uh it was lee strobel came and spoke there was a thousand people in the room it was phenomenal it was great it wasn't brunch though i was expecting pancakes and bacon and it was chicken salad I mean, that's not brunch food, but other than the healthy food, everything was healthy. It was, oh, no, that chocolate uh. cake, that wasn't healthy. But the, they brought up okay. seven or eight different civic leaders, including the mayor of Tampa, and they all prayed, and they prayed for our country, and they prayed for the individual parts of our country. It was, it was a moving event. It was phenomenal. It was great to be part of it. So in Washington, D.C., where you were at for the National Day of Prayer, how many yeah. high-level administrative people got involved? Did, did you get the vice president or the president?
1: Um, we know that there, was, there were actually two events that took place at the White House. Um, he had uh, prayer and ministry leaders there on Wednesday night, and there was uh, prayer and uh, with prayer and ministry leaders on Thursday also. And then, of course, the event in the Rose Garden, but I'm not counting that one, um, too, but specific times of prayer, specific times of scripture on Wednesday night and Thursday in the White House. And we know, you know, there, there is, um, daily Bible study going on at the White House. We know the, um, Congressional Prayer Caucus, um, meets and prays before every session. And so there, there is, gr- there are great things going on in Washington, D.C., and I continue to ask people, to bless, to pray for their government officials, all the way, you know, do you know, I always ask people, do you know who your congressional representative is? Can you name them by name, your senator and your congressman? And then if so, are they married? Uh, Do you know their spouse's name? Do they have kids? Do you know their background? Do you know um, what committees they're on? Pray for them. Your governor, your school boards, you know, your superintendent, all these people that are out there as public servants, we need to be praying for them.
0: You know, and really that whole prayer lifestyle is part of the Love 2020 movement, that that prayer, care, share lifestyle. When we start to pray, things start to happen. And what I've seen, the most amazing thing in my own life is that the Lord starts to shape my heart to see people the way he sees them. Instead of me getting my whole uh, prayer list answered, he starts to help me see things with his perspective. And and Love 2020, bringing that authentic touch of Christ to the workplace, showing that love, being a person of excellence and showing that love in the workplace, that's going to transform our country if we're unified in this effort. Absolutely. Revival can start in the workplace.
1: I absolutely believe that. And also, you know, and and prayer changes things, but prayer changes you. And so I totally agree with what you're saying, and this whole idea of understanding that whatever you're doing, if you're an accountant, if you're running a radio show, if if you're a a custodian, if you're a congressman, whatever it is, you are working out your God-ordained destiny. What you're doing matters the kingdom come will be done and that is good enough reason not to hit the snooze alarm in the morning <laughs> jump out of bed and get out there and do it
0: you know every time we do a love 2020 show and we've done lots of them, you bring on amazing guests people that understand and embrace the love 2020 message bringing that authentic touch of christ to our workplace across the nation reaching 150 million people in our workplace by 2020 you've got a fantastic guest to introduce our audience today
1: Yeah, so Tim Eldred and I go way back. He was with me last week in Washington, D.C. He is a member of the National Prayer Committee, which is the parent ministry of the National Day of Prayer, and uh, we're in Washington, D.C. together every year uh, for the observance. He's a great servant, and um, I'm excited to introduce you and your listeners to Tim because he is out there encouraging and equipping the next generation, to be in ministry now. So I'm not talking about youth ministry. I'm talking about youth in ministry. And, you know, because he asked the question, if nothing were standing in your way, how would you transform the world? And he is across the globe. He's out of the country more than I am. He travels all over the world making waves. And I will let him explain that to you, but he is my great friend. He is a servant of the Most High God. He's an author, and he loves young people. And this is my friend, Tim Eldred from Endeavor Ministries.
0: Tim Eldred, welcome to I Work For Him.
2: Well, I love it when somebody introduces me, but when it's somebody I really love, you know, then they're not making stuff up, although that might be a little bit embellished a, a little bit. But. <laughs> no, Kathy no. Branzell does not no. embellish. Actually, no the truth embellish. is Kathy, right. Kathy does not. She is a, a warrior for, for truth, and so, um, you know, if... Whatever part of that is true, and it is, the glory goes to the That's Lord. That's right. Praise, Jim, praise so God. Good praise, have, so good to be with you, Jim. God. Uh, praise Tim, God.
0: Tim, as we, as we head into a break, really quick, just tell us, why did you get part? Why did you become part of the Love 2020 movement? you got about 30 seconds.
2: Well, you know, it comes down to basics, Jim. Prayer, care, share. I mean, first of all, we've been part of Mission America for a long time and their initiatives. And so the Love 2020 just resonates for Going back to going back to your your, your your title of your show, Jim, I Work For Him, we, we, we've we got to stop separating sacred from secular, and Love 2020 does that. It brings us all under one umbrella into a simple way that the body of Christ can come together and really bring the gospel to communities, and we're thrilled to be part of that and partner with Love 2020.
0: And Kathy, I think it's, and we've got Kathy Branzell on the line from Love 2020, and Tim Eldred with Endeavor Ministries, and Tim, will get right to you in just a second, but Kathy... What does an authentic touch of Jesus look like?
1: It is a Christ follower who just every day along the way is praying, is caring, is sharing the love and the message of Jesus Christ. It's that you know a need, and you go and need it. You know someone's hurting, and you go pray for them. You know that somebody is seeking, and you go and share the gospel with them in just a real conversation. You know, and that's what's really cool about Tim. I love just sitting and talking to Tim, because he's just a real guy who talks in normal language. All the kids, all the young people identify with him, are, you know, just can't wait to talk and hear what he has to say, because he talks to them like a real person.
0: Well... They are, in fact, real people. In fact, we know the statistics that more people come to Christ before they turn 18 as a percentage than people after. I gave my life to Christ as a 13-year-old. Martha gave her life to Christ as a 9-year-old. Kathy, how old were you when you gave your life to Christ? I was 12. Yeah. Okay. Tim, what about you? How old were you when you gave your life to Christ? July 8, 1983, 13. 13. And so we know that youth ministry, the discipleship of teens is critical. The empowering of parents to know how to disciple their teens, but to give those teens an outlet that isn't their parents, because at that point in time in their lives, they think their parents are stupid, even though they're not. We all did it. But Tim, so you've been called to an amazing ministry, but I love the twist. You're not teaching people how to do youth ministry. You're teaching people how to raise up kids, raise up youth in ministry. And I and I love that. You said on your online testimony, I was reading all about you because I've never met you before, but you do have a better radio voice than me. I like that. All <laughs> right, so you say in your online testimony, I'm the youngest of four pastor's son who spent years of my life searching for significance. Before I can sincerely say I'm an adopted son of the Most High God, I up and entered pastoral ministry. Sometimes I think it was a calling. Other times I think it might've been the path of, of least resistance. What do you mean? You know, when
2: you sent me that question that you were going to ask, I had to go back and review that, Jim, and thought, I wrote that. What did I mean <laughs> yes, by did. that? And so I've been thinking about that this morning on a flight. Um, and th- that's plagued me because I did grow up in a great home with amazing parents who served the Lord and loved the Lord, and the youngest of four pastor's kids. And I was raised in church. I don't know, and this is not my phrase, but I've heard others say it, I don't know that I was always raised in Christ. And so in the church culture, in the church world, I did have the ability growing up to use my talents and gifts I was passionate about the Lord, I loved Jesus, but that doesn't always equate to, I know who I am. So I was 35 years old, I was sitting in an airport, which is kind of the story of my life, and so I was sitting in an airport in Portland, Oregon, and a a friend older than me asked me, uh, probably one of the most important questions I've ever been asked, he said, who are you? And I did what most people did, I answered by my vocation. I'm a pastor, I'm the president of Endeavor, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and every time I gave him an answer, he says, wrong. And so then I began to answer by things that I'm good at or passionate about, he says, wrong. I said, this is not that hard of a question. He said, well, when you figure it out, call me back. I wrestled with that little stinking question for three months until he called me one day and said, let me tell you who you are. You're a son of the Most High God. Do you know what that means? Do you know that you've been born with birthrights that can't be taken away? Do you know that your father owns the palace? You don't have to live in emotional and spiritual poverty. You don't have to prove yourself to him. You don't have to keep performing. And I think that's what I mean by that, Jim. It was just, I don't know that I felt the call to pastoral ministry as much as I knew I was called to Christ and I wanted to serve him. But I didn't really know that everything I had was given by him on purpose, intentionally, and my identity was laid up in him. And I think the most important thing about your question is my concern that most Christians don't understand their identity. They they know they're called to Jesus and they follow Jesus, but identity goes to the core of who you are. And I'm not sure that we teach
0: it well. Ah, but there is an organization we have highlighted over a dozen, mm, almost 20 times on this program over the last four years, IdentityAndDestiny.com. IdentityAndDestiny.com is the most powerful Bible study ever, workbook Bible study workbook that will help you understand exactly who God created you to be, what he created you to be doing, and what your next assignment is. I just had to put that plug in there. They didn't pay for that. Well, wh- Jim, where, where, why, didn't you, why didn't you tell me that 12 years ago? Well, because we didn't <laughs> you know each other 20 years Jim, ago,
2: Jim, you could have saved me a whole lot of,
0: you know, a whole lot I'm of work here. Oh, my <laughs> goodness, I carry those books. I carry Identity and Destiny workbooks with me wherever I go because people, when they when they can't answer that question, they, I'm like, no, don't tell me what your job is. Tell me who you are. Tell me. But Jim, don't you,
2: don't you agree? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I'm not sure <laughs> that we teach it well. Because I'm not sure like even guys like me who are nestling in pastoral ministry can fully comprehend their identity and destiny. Um, I'm not positive that it's part of our discipleship process, as thoroughly as it should be. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just pointing so imagine, out a, a problem.
1: Uh, imagine what if, what if somebody, you wouldn't think of the years that you wouldn't have had to wonder and wander, if somebody had explained that to you as a youth. Imagine if you had been 15 or 16 and and somebody had explained to you that you're a child of the Most High God whose soul, whose identity was knit together by Him, your Creator, Abba Father, and that He has great plans for you. And oh, by the way, He's not going to let you fail because His kingdom come, will be done.
0: Well, Can part, of all go- like, part of it all goes back to the discipleship question. As a church, on overall, not, not 100%, there are some incredible churches out there, but as a, as a body of Christ in this nation, we have lost the will and the desire to disciple. And because it's messy, it's dirty, it's time-consuming, and it's inconvenient. And most of the generation today that are our age, that I'm 50, we, most of us may or may not have gotten discipled. Most of us have not. I was discipled in high school by a guy who told me, I was a child of the Most High God by a guy who showed me that I had value, even when I doubted it. And, and it's, but but he didn't tell me that it didn't that I didn't have to go to seminary and become a pastor in order to live out my ministry. That's what he missed. He didn't know that. But but it is that's something that we re, that's why I'm trying to communicate to people is that we have people listening to this show that are given incredible, unique sets of gifts, talents, and abilities to be put into action as nurses, as doctors, as used car salespeople, as attorneys, as uh, ditch diggers, as line pullers, whatever the job would be. They have this high calling in their life, and that their identity in God is to be lived out in that existence, and that is a high calling. And and to mentor that. And
1: everybody has something to offer the next generation or their next-door neighbor. And so to mentor that, you were so blessed to have a mentor and, you know, it, bring it back around even. I mean, that's part of what Tim does and Endeavor and in Making Waves. He encourages young people, before I jump the gun here, but to, to go and find a godly mentor. Everyone has the ability to mentor somebody else and to bless someone else
2: and with that's their story
1: I'm... and with their faith.
2: Well, that's why I didn't mean to cut you off, Kat. That's why I'm so grateful, Jim, for that God did allow me to wrestle with it for so long. And you said something a minute ago that just really struck me that I've honestly never thought about. You talked about your mentor in high school who didn't tell you that you had to, or did tell you, that you had to go to seminary or Bible college in order to live out this this, this ministry, this passion, this new new faith. And... um, my father's an incredible man, he's an evangelist, he was an he was a great pastor, he's retired now, although he never really is retired. And um he he gave his life fully to the Lord at age thirty eight. And he owned a pretty lucrative, successful business at the time. But his pastor only knew to tell him that to really now accept this call on your life you have to go to Bible college and seminary. When realistically, he might have had the most effective ministry ever in his business um, Mm. before he went to pastoral ministry. I'm not questioning his decisions or God's call. But no one ever told him that right now, right where you are, God has an amazing plan for you to use your gifts and use your abilities. And um, regardless of vocation or prestige, I mean, what you do is an act of love and worship before God. And as I said in the beginning, Jim, we've got this two-tiered model for too long of sacred and secular. And we do the same thing to students when we say, and sometimes I even hate to use the words youth in ministry because the word ministry has a connotation of, oh, youth pastor, oh, pastor, oh, this, oh. And so we have inadvertently defined ministry as something that doesn't necessarily look appealing and, and when we tell students God is calling you to so we're using different language to transform your world to well, I, make a difference to it's all ministry, but we're right. telling them they can do that today, not someday. Live out,
0: live out your love for Jesus.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and and it, it,
0: it is an incredible calling in our lives. But to understand that you know, the Bible, most of the people we read about in the Bible, they were not priests, they were not prophets, they were people in the marketplace, and God used those people in the marketplace. In fact, most of the prophets we read about, they were in the marketplace. They had a prophetic calling on their lives. Tim, talk about Endeavor Ministries. What is this all about?
2: Well, first, I just want to add my endorsement to the Fuller team and Kara Powell and her team's book on on Growing Your Church Young, Jim, and um, their research and what they've done. um, There's a lot of us. When you say, surprise, I didn't write it, there's a lot of us the Holy Spirit is speaking to, a number of people. And um, it's a hard shift to make. And so what's interesting about Endeavor is that it's been around a really long time. We are considered um, by really church historians to be the father of what we call youth ministry today. Started 136 years ago in Portland, Maine. A pastor who was struggling with the same issue we are struggling with today. Young people were walking away from their faith and walking away from the church at about the age of accountability, which was much younger than now than it is today. And so he, uh, he prayerfully created a strategy based around a couple of real simple principles. The first one's this. He told these 57 students on a Sunday afternoon, I believe you can make the same level of commitment to Jesus Christ as adults can. And a lot of times we go, Amen, that's right, I believe that too. Okay, well, we got to put our money where our mouth's at there. And so he said, Therefore, I promise, to never do anything for you in the church, you can learn to do yourself. Now, with that being the foundation or the father of modern youth ministry, the apple has fallen a long way from the proverbial tree, Jim. Never do anything for young people in, in the church they can do it themselves. So that's where youth ministry got its roots. How do we return? How do we get back to? So 12 years ago, or 13 years ago, I was asked, Um, to join the Endeavor team and give it leadership and see if we can bring some more life and vitality or resurrect it. And um, uh, I I just clearly said, no, I I can't. Resurrection is not something I can do. Um, But I think what we could do is we could extract the DNA. We could go return to our roots. We could see what God has positioned and preserved in the Endeavor movement. That could be beneficial to the desperation the church is feeling today. And it's only by God's grace that 12 years later, that the principles of youth in ministry, which is the, how we measure and um, qualify, quantify youth work, um, are being adapted by churches all over the world. It's a blessing.
0: Uh, I mean, it is a total paradigm shift. I mean, it's throwing the whole church on its head, but really, it's not just our youth. That need to be trained in ministry. I mean, that's the the issue. Is in, in the church today, it may be too late for guys that are fifty and older, but it's everybody in the church needs to be trained in ministry. We need to recognize that we're all going into ministry. But but I love the focus on the youth because if we can impact our youth, then as Kathy said earlier, you know there is hope for our country if we can raise up our youth to recognize that no matter where they go, they are youth in ministry.
2: The struggle, and I'm on location. Um, In South Florida at a church right now, um, working with um, their children's department, youth department, helping them restructure. And we just came out of a meeting five minutes before I jumped on the air with you. And I ran into the same question that I run to uh, week after week, country after country. is, But how do we disciple young people when the last couple generations of those responsible for it have not been discipled? We've got this, we've got a, a huge gap between those who are, I mean, this generation, Jim, is screaming and begging for higher expectations and greater accountability. They're spiritually hungry. They're looking to the church, but they don't find the church relevant, or they've already mm. checked out of the church, and they're looking to a generation that, and this is no one's fault. We don't want to cast, you know, cast lots or throw stones at people here. But inadvertently, you've said it, so I'm gonna blame you for saying it. We 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 haven't put an emphasis on discipleship, and so now we're trying to lead people across a road that some of us had never crossed. Right. Which goes fact, back to my story earlier in the interview.
0: Right. In fact, while you were saying all this, one of my listeners, before you got to that that question where how do we disciple young people, one of my listeners texted me and said, Jim, I'm eighty-four. How do I get the opportunity to mentor and disciple young people? Because I, I've seen it. I, I used to go to a church where they put all of the, and I'm going to say old people, anybody 65 and older, retired people, they put them all in a corner and say, oh, you guys do your own thing. And then they put the 30s together and the 40s together and young marrieds together. And they separate them all so that there's no interaction. There's no relationship building. And most of those 30, 20s, 30s, and 40s, they don't have relationships with their parents because they've gotten divorced or their grandparents are gone or they because they of uh geographic location they've never gotten close to grandparents or maybe they didn't have a spiritual upline in their in their family and and that's a problem that we need to solve in the church we need to start integrating the the get get the retirees out of the stands and back in the field I mean that's something I'm, I'm you're talking about making the church relevant make it relevant for everybody give people who have been told well we're done with you you're 65 and say no now you've got more time to do what we what what Come on, let's go. Phase and, three, and, let's go. And
2: you've got and you've got more to share. So we have we've spent a long time now compartmentalizing ministry, which takes us away from what really changes lives. I mean, you know, those of us who teach God's Word or preach or teach Sunday school or we pastor or whatever it is, we love to give information because you know, first of all, we love to hear ourselves talk. Just let's just say it out loud. But then we think that information produces transformation. And I know we're speaking God's word. It doesn't return void. So I want to make sure we acknowledge that, you know, that is the information we need to get out. But it's relationships that impact lives. We are not born believing in who we are, going back to identity. It is bestowed upon us in relationship. That 84-year-old listener, that 60-year-old sitting in a pew or whoever it might be, there is a generation who is waiting. And our church structures aren't set up to integrate the 84-year-old with the 14-year-old young lady who really aspires to the values and the characteristics of a builder generation it doesn't have a bridge to cross in order to connect with them and also feels like the very things i want no one's showing me how to do how do we create that intergenerational interconnected bridge and tear down the compartmentalization of youth ministry without tearing down those who feel like they're called to youth work because we don't want to do that either
0: no, because... It, oh,
1: I know, I know. Be a mentor. Be a
2: mentor. Be a mentor. Be it, it a mentor.
0: It takes a definite, different personality to work with seven, <laughs> seventh grade, middle schoolers. Absolutely. Martha and I did youth ministry for 20 years as volunteers, and people would say, well, Jim and Martha, you guys got kids in the nursery. You guys got to do nursery time. I said, I'll trade you. You go for 48 hours on a retreat with middle schoolers, and I'll do the hour in the nursery. And they never bother me after that because it takes it takes a whole unique mental, well, or lack of mental to hang out with middle schoolers. I mean, senior hires are a little tougher because they got more walls built up. But when you love the kids of the next generation, they'll make an impact. I mean, we're starting yeah. to hear back from those kids twenty years later. I mean, there's an impact that's being made. And never can equip
1: this. you to do that. That's well, what's I, so cool is you don't you don't just have to pull it out of a hat is that Endeavor has the resources to train up mentors, to become effective mentors.
2: Kathy and I had this conversation last week, Jim, as we were talking about the biggest obstacles we face at Endeavor, because we're seeing thousands upon thousands of students make decisions and start waves, which we'll, we'll get to. But our biggest obstacle is the lack of adults who are ready to mentor. Because we haven't defined youth ministry as mentoring, so I may not be interested in hanging out with 30 high schoolers at a lock-in. I mean, I'm not even sure that's, you know, that's spiritual. Um it gives me, you know, it gives me the hives has for a long time. And um but you give me a chance to sit down for a cup of coffee with a couple of young men, junior high boys, and just have a conversation, kick a ball around, talk about life, talk about real struggles and real issues. And so we've come to the point at Endeavor where we're all about youth and ministry, but in order to accomplish our mission and help the church make this shift, we're not training youth workers, we're training the pew. We're training mentors because if you've got 20 students in your church, there are 20 adults who can one-on-one share their life in Christ Mm -hmm. with a young man or a young woman who is searching for identity, who's searching for belonging, who's searching for someone to believe in them. And sometimes that's not found quite often in a larger group. It's life-on-life, one-on-one, or small intimate gatherings, which goes back to what Acts chapter 2 looked like. So how do you take those overlooked, underserved, um, men and women in the congregation with so much to give and let them know that you are valuable. We don't need you to teach Sunday school. We don't need you to come to the lock-in. We don't need you to do the retreat or summer camp or show up to a youth group on Wednesday nights. What we do need is, hey, do you have 20 minutes a week that you could connect with Stephen, this 16-year-old? Because he's just looking for somebody who will show up to his soccer game or his lacrosse game or his band concert and encourage him. someone will pick up the phone and say hey are you studying for your exam hey i heard i'm having some relationship troubles hey did you know i pray for you every day hey if you need something or somebody to listen i'm so, right here
0: so let me ask you this question tim when endeavor ministries gets the opportunity to come alongside a church and 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 shift the paradigm from having youth ministry to training youth in ministry what happens
2: first of all let me just tell you that that's not as daunting or scary as it might sound to people listening, because it's a mind shift. It's it's, it's, it's a mindset. Because once you change your mind, the model and the method they, they they take care of themselves. So the very thing we're talking about is young feeling young people feeling engaged, and that's the word we work with churches to to embrace. How do we fully engage youth in the life of the work of the church as the church? So what you begin to practically see is the youthfulness of the church in center stage. And I mean center stage. Young people are doing the roles and the jobs and the tasks that adults are modeling, first of all, and then mentoring them and then mobilizing. So you can't mobilize what you don't mentor and you can't mentor what you don't model. So we're asking churches, hey, make a list of everything that gets done in this congregation. Make a list of every student you've got. And then connect them to an adult who can help them learn to do that. That's the first step. The second step is to begin to ask the question that Kathy graciously mentioned that we ask students. If nothing were standing in your way, now that we've given you a chance to learn skills and put them into practice and hone your talents, if nothing were standing in your way, how would you transform your world? What would you do? Which creates another question. So how can I help you? Now, hey, that's a great idea. We'll plan an event. No, no, that's your ministry. And so what's practically happening, Jim, is we're putting the apostrophe back in youth's ministry. And so in those churches we work with, you're seeing students own the mission and vision of the church and the mission and vision of Jesus. But they're doing it in very practical ways not compartmentalized ways where they actually own the ministry. It's their mission it's their cause it's their concern it's their passion it's their problem to solve and adults are rising up and coming alongside of them and churches don't know what to do with it and it's um, it's messy.
0: That's good. When churches don't know what to do with it, that's good because churches get so stuck in their box. we got to get break the boxes down, throw the boxes aside, get rid of the walls. Check out Endeavor Ministries online at EndeavorMinistries.org. Shift the paradigm of youth ministry in your church and bring out youth in ministry. Go to EndeavorMinistries.org if your church is tired of just doing entertainment for the kids and you want to see the depth of your kids influence the depth of your adults you need to check out EndeavorMinistries.org. And I want to thank Patty from Crystal Beach from calling in. She's the winner of our book today, Growing Young. And it sounds like that's its not a book I've read yet. It sounds like a book based on what Tim Eldred said that everybody should be reading because our churches do need to grow young. Our churches are growing old, and we're missing the next generation. We desperately need to disciple and mentor the next generation's. Kathy, i got to take a break because I'm just soapboxing it so much today. You've got an incredible event coming up this fall, and we're ramping up for it already. You've heard the commercials. 40daysoflove.net. What is 40 Days of Love all about?
1: Oh, we are so excited. So 40 Days of Love was piloted last year in Orlando, Florida, and it was meant to go from mid-September to the end of October. And, of course, you can't, we can't shut it off. Love became a lifestyle throughout Orlando, and there's this giant binder of great stories, but the idea is to go every day along the way, prayer care share, for people individually, personally, to write down 10 names, 10 people they will pray for for 40 days, they will show the love of Jesus, care for over 40 days, and 10 people they want to share the gospel with in the next 40 days. You can do this personally, do it corporately, church, churches coming together, organizations coming together, workplaces. What would you do to go show and share the love of Jesus Christ in September and October? And the idea is, you know, we kind of got this bad reputation as um, Christians of haters and protesters, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to go to that store, I'm not going to see that movie, I don't watch that television show. What are we for? We're for the love of Jesus Christ. And so it is my prayer that over the 40 days of love and beyond, because it'll become a lifestyle, that every time somebody turns around, somebody is showing the love of Jesus Christ. And, you know, and our friend Tim, that I had, we um, invited on today when he said, Oh, I talked about, we'll get to talking about waves. I thought, No, because this is the fastest hour in talk radio that exists. Well, I want to make so... sure. We got it. We're going to get people... right to it.
0: We're going to get to yeah, it right and... now.
1: Good, because one of the things I'll ask is, CEOs, wherever you are, you don't have to be 84, you could be 24, everybody can become a mentor. Everybody has something to offer, and the youth have a lot to offer, and they're out there making waves, meeting together, sharing together, growing together, and acting together per care share. And so no matter what age, whether you're four years old or 94 years old, I want you to start thinking about and planning what you're going to do over
0: the 40 days of love. 40 net. Tim Eldred, yes. you, are, you, know, we're, you, you got your latest book, Making Waves Because It Feels Good. Sounds like my kind of book. I love that. And, and people can find out more about it online. But how, talk about this book, Making Waves, because it just feels good.
2: Well, it begins with waves, Jim. So what's happening, and Kathy has um, been referring to it, is there are thousands of students, literally thousands of students in 42 countries as of today that we know of who are making waves. They're going to wavesinaction.org. They're going to the App Store. They're searching for hashtag #wavesinaction. And it's students who are going, hey, this breaks my heart. I'm going to do something about it. They find two or three friends. They go and um, choose a cause. And the biggest issue is we tell them in step number three, go find an adult you trust who loves Jesus, who won't take over, and ask them to mentor you. And we are hearing, there are 4,300-plus waves right now in the last six months alone that have formed across the world of students leading ministry. And they tell us, You know what we need? We need that mentor. But we don't know an adult we trust who loves Jesus, who won't take over. So our biggest struggle today, and I have to just capitalize on Kathy's appeal, is regardless of your age, if if you remember what it was like to be 12, 13, 14, 15, and need someone to believe in you, then when you get to EndeavorMinistries.org, contact us and say, tell me about how to be a mentor. And we will take you through a process and train you and vet you and connect you with a wave and teach you how to make waves. The whole book, Making Wait. Waves, is bucking the youth ministry.
0: Okay, we're going to run out of time. Yeah. I've got to stop you right there. And if somebody goes to EndeavorMinistries.org, you can help train them. You can help get them ready to be a mentor.
2: Absolutely, 100%. Okay. Just ask us. We will connect you.
0: You heard it here, EndeavorMinistries.org. Go out there, find out how you can make waves. Tim Eldridge with EndeavorMinistries.org. Thanks for being an iWork for him today. Appreciate it very, very much.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, Jim.
0: Kathy Branzell with Love2020.com. You're awesome. Thanks for always bringing on great guests. Thanks for promoting Love2020. We look forward to being part of the 40daysoflove.net. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.